You're listening to keynote speeches from our Melbourne Podcasters Live event series. These are recorded live and feature the best podcast professionals in the country who reveal the craft and techniques of creating a successful show. My name is Adam Jaffrey and I am Strategy Director at Wavelength Creative. We run and sponsor these events and produce the podcast you're listening to right now. Today's topic is a really exciting one. It's titled, Editing Secrets from an Audio Professional, Lessons from 20 Plus Years of Pro Production, featuring our keynote speaker, Peter Letts, who is Director of Audio at BE Media Production. This is a great interview, but keep in mind, we did a couple of demonstrations live at the event, but Peter will leave you with some amazing editing hacks, so keep an ear out for those. I want to introduce everybody to Mr. Peter Letts. Give him a round of applause. So Peter is an audio editing veteran. He's uh, spent a long time in the industry. He runs a company called Audio Concierge, which essentially edits podcasts. Um, And he's also the director of audio at BE Media Production um, in his day job. So he's kind of working day podcasting and also night podcasting. Um, And he's been in the industry for over 20 years. uh, So he has a long history of producing amazing audio. And so tonight, um, he's going to be showing us great methodologies for how to edit and also talking about what you should be looking for, what some of the key mistakes you might want to avoid are and that kind of thing. There's kind of six phases to editing a podcast. Step one, capturing audio. Step two, mastering. Step three, content edit. Step four, technical edit. Step five, final assembly. And step six, final EQ mix and mastering. Let's delve into the first one, Pete. So talk us through what's important about capturing audio the right way. You want the best quality you can get before you even begin. So treating your space is um, extremely important. So you want to reduce any reflections that are going into your microphone because, yes, you can fix certain things up later on in editing and post-production side of things, but you want the, the best quality audio recording you can get from the very beginning. So, yeah, it's, it's paying attention to your surroundings. I always recommend wear headphones the, the entire time you're recording. As soon as you put headphones on, the microphone picks up absolutely everything. So it's very important that you're hearing what the microphone's hearing. You talk about treading a space, and I think that's actually something that's important to touch on because, um, you know, a lot of podcasters will buy a bunch of fancy microphones that are great at picking up really high-quality sound, and then they sit down in their living room or their kitchen with a lot of hard surfaces. And I mean, we in the industry, we talk about reflections and reverb, but what's kind of happening there is the sound is reflecting off the wall and then coming back into the microphone. So you kind of hear the sound out of your microphone here. And then it also comes from the rear of the microphone on the side as well. So how can you treat a room to make sure you get the best quality sound? Well, look for soft furnishing. So if your studio setup is um, in your lounge room, for instance, set up your microphone near some thick curtains or make sure there's this carpeted floor, just things that will absorb or, or um, diffuse any reflections. And even on your table, if you're on your work desk or your study or something like that, um, just put down some carpet on the desk to absorb most of the early reflections. That's good advice. Can you maybe talk us through the difference between a USB microphone versus an XLR microphone? I always recommend um, an XLR microphone over the USB. Most podcasters will use a USB just because it's easy 
just plug it into your computer. But that's the other thing you can plug it into. So it's much more flexible with the XLR setup. With the USB microphones, there's a lot of circuitry inside them, which introduces noise. And the converters in, in USB microphones are nowhere near as good as, say, when you have a separate interface. If you put up a USB microphone next to an XLR, you can always hear the difference. So essentially you're saying you'll get a, a better quality sound if you use an XLR microphone versus, I guess, the convenience of using a USB microphone. Yeah, and a much more flexible um, setup. So the final thing I just want to touch on before we move on from step one, which was capturing audio, is um, setting your levels. What is setting your levels, Pete, and how do you get them right? Well, every microphone needs a preamp, which amplifies the sound that's going in through the microphone. So you basically need to set the gain of the microphone. And you don't want it too low and you don't want it too high because you're going to get distortion if it's too high. And um, too low later on in post-production, and that will have to be um, raised, which will also bring up the noise floor and background noise and that sort of thing. If it's flashing red, that's, that's no good because it's too high and it's, it's obviously distorting. And also, if you can barely see the, the levels sort of jumping on the metres, that's, that's just too low. So you, you want it so you can see, it's usually green, then it will turn yellow, then it will turn red. So you, you want it dancing at the top of the green and occasionally jumping into the yellow. And sometimes it might jump up and sort of flick the, the distortion signal on, but that's okay if it's occasional. But um, yeah, you don't want it peaking at the red all the time. So before we move on, are there any questions on capturing audio? Does the quality of your interface make a big difference? Uh, yes, it does. The best that you can afford, anything in audio, yeah, from microphones, interfaces, always get the, the best that you can afford because um, you get what you pay for. Okay, so step two, which is mastering. This is really about setting your dynamic range and things like noise reduction and equalization. If these words are confusing to you, we're about to dispel what they all are. The mastering is usually the last in the chain. So that's the, the very last process that you do when it comes to putting a program together. I've listed it here as the second step because with podcast recordings, a lot of them, well, the ones I get through Audio Concierge need a lot of repair. When you're editing, like the levels might be low or there's a lot of background noise, a lot of hiss from low quality microphones and that sort of thing. So I tend to basically master the audio first so that when I'm editing, I can hear everything. Basically getting your levels as close to the mastering process as possible and do your noise reduction and that sort of thing, just, just so that when you're editing, it's nice and clean and you can hear exactly what, what the end product is, is going to sound like pretty much or the, the limitations of the, the recording. Yeah, sure. And no, nothing's hidden. It's, yeah. all, it's all there to be, you can see what you have to do. 2A, noise reduction. What is noise reduction? Yeah, so that's, um, as I mentioned, with lower quality microphones and in podcasting, there's a, there's a, lot, of, a lot of that, cheaper gear. So noise reduction, you can zoom in on a buzz or, or a hiss and um, take a little sample of it with, with plugins, which I'll show you later on. And you can minimize the noise. Any noise that's there at the beginning is going to be extremely loud and, and very distracting. And any noise or um, you know, dodgy edit that will stand out because you didn't notice at the beginning. It just takes the listener out of experience. And I think what's important to mention here is with the noise reduction step, it's about removing consistent noises that are throughout the recording. So it's not somebody coughing that will be part of the technical edit. We'll get to in a minute. But noise reduction is about removing things like hisses, things like buzzers, an air conditioner that's consistent throughout your entire recording. If you're silly enough to record in the kitchen, your fridge or whatever, um, those kinds of things. Sometimes you can get a buzz in microphones just from like overhead power lines or from your mobile phone, that kind of stuff. So what Pete's saying is you take a little sample of it, maybe, you know, between two and 10 seconds, and then the software, which we'll go through in just a second, will go, okay, this is what I'm looking for. And then it will apply 
the inverse of that waveform essentially to the entire recording and it will remove that sound from the entire one hour interview that you've done. So the next step uh, 2B is equalization. So Pete, what's E or what's known in the industry as EQ? Um, what is EQ? EQ is just manipulating certain frequencies, usually to correct things, but it can also be to enhance. You have lows, mids and highs frequencies, so something will be too muddy, it'll be too midi, where you get that sort of tinny sound, or something's a little bit dull, so you want to brighten it up, or something is already too bright, so you need to sort of dull it down a bit. So it's basically just shaping shaping certain frequencies. Shall we move on to the next stage, which is dynamic range, which uh, encompasses compression and levelling. So what are we trying to achieve, Pete, with our step of fixing the dynamic range? Basically, um, a compressor will sort of attenuate very loud sounds and it, and it will amplify lower sounds, so it levels your audio signal. But it also, with lower sounds, because because you're amplifying the low sounds, you're also bringing up the noise and all that sort of stuff. So if, the, if you do have a hissy microphone and you compress it too much, you'll also bring up that hiss. So um, the step that we do at the beginning, so that we can hear those sort of issues before we start. Essentially, what you're trying to do is make all the sounds throughout your entire length of your podcast sound relatively consistent. Because there's nothing worse as a listener of having to turn the volume up sometimes um, when you can't hear. And then two minutes later, something's blasting in your ears because it's too loud and you're constantly changing it. Um, Or it's just like frustrating because you can't hear um, and, and things are, you know, confusing, I guess, as a listener. This next section, which is step three, which is the content edit, and step four, which is the technical edit. The content edit is really about removing content from the show. Um, So bits that are boring or bits that kind of don't make sense. So Pete, when you're editing for content, what are you specifically looking out for um, to, you know, for bits to actually remove from, from from an interview or a podcast? anything um, gets repetitive a lot of interviewees will sum up exactly what they just said because it's not about you as a podcaster you always got to think of your audience so if they get off track a bit you know things like that and sometimes cut yourself out I mean you might ask a question and a follow-up question to sort of get more out of them well it's okay to chop your questions out if you want to edit sort of further back into the into their answer and and sort of butt it up together it's um it's it's all about the audience it's about the listener yeah And so, in difference to the content edit where you're removing perhaps large chunks, you know, maybe two or three minutes at a time, or maybe it's, you know, 10, 15 seconds, when you're doing a technical edit, these are much shorter periods, right? You might be editing out an um, or when, you know, somebody stumbles on a word and that kind of stuff. So, Pete, what are some things that you use? What are some kind of techniques you use to make this segment um, really effective? Like, what what, what are the techniques that you have to get that technical edit really on point? Uh, well, you basically want to edit on consonants. So, so you know, Bs, Ts, you, you can edit in the middle of Ss or, or Vs, that sort of thing. But it's basically, be as transparent as you can because, as I mentioned before, any edit that um, stands out, you're just taking the listener out of the experience, especially when you hear frequent sort of poor edits or you know, things that aren't quite working. A lot of podcasters will edit um, too tightly. So, so when you're speaking, a word will end and the next word sort of comes in way too quickly. I mean, all you have to do is pop in a breath from somewhere else or, or a little bit of um, dead air just to sort of push that word out a little bit. But not complete silence. You want the, the, the room want noise. The room sound. Yeah, the room sound because every room kind of has just like a real, real subtle kind of... And you can pick the edit. If someone just leaves a complete silent gap, it's really easy to pick. And things like, like there might be a whippersnipper outside. Actually, I've got an example of that. I'll, I'll play that. And then the edit, the whippersnipper's gone. So it's very noticeable. Like all of a sudden it's just, you know. So um, 
taking a sample of the whippersnipper and then sort of popping it under your edit there just to sort of disguise it a bit. So there's a, a couple of little tricks that you can do to, and sometimes you can't help have a crappy edit, but um, moving a um or something from somewhere else just to disguise it a bit so you, you don't notice it as much. Pete, this is like ninja style editing. Inserting yeah, a whippersnipper from somewhere else to make sure, like who does, wow, that's crazy. I'll, I'll give you an Do you example. have that example? Yeah. The whippersnipper? Yep. Well, let's, let's load it up. You can hear the whippersnipper and then where the edit is, it'll just drop out all of a sudden. That what we need and want is lots of cheap clothes made of plastic. For smaller brands or independent designers. Did you hear that? Yeah. Yes. So what I've done here is I've taken a, a sample of that whippersnipper, placed it underneath the edit and I've gently faded out. So it still disappears, but it's not as abrupt. We've, that what we need and want is lots of cheap clothes made of plastic. For smaller brands or independent designers who have sustainability really in their hearts and that's why they do it. Pete, why didn't you just do noise reduction? Noise reduction changes the audio a fair bit. So if you do noise reduction on one little segment, it's still going to stand out and you're not going to get rid of it completely. So if you're recording, um, let's say you've recorded in a studio an interview and you know how you said about a content edit and a technical edit, what if you kind of need to combine both so you've realised you've rambled on too much trying to ask a question and you don't want your listeners to hear that you've rambled, you want to get straight to the point and then you've gone to re-record your question but in the question re-record you can hear the difference in audio so you're asking the question in your bedroom and the person's answering in a studio how can you best fix that that's you start getting into more advanced stuff there so there you would um de definitely match the microphone that you were using when you recorded you can match the the location sound so if you re-recorded a question like in the interview you can definitely take some background noise and stick it underneath in an attempt to match yourself on the day. It's a lot of trial and error. The best technique that we use is try and record in the same place as where you did the first time. So the same studio, the same room, the same microphone, all that kind of stuff. You've got an understanding of how to capture the right audio, how to level and EQ and noise reduction. Uh, we talked about content editing, removing boring bits. We talked about the technical edit, which is, you know, some hacks for getting great um, edit points. Step five is about the final assembly. So putting it all together. So really this step is about having a final listen through the show. Once you've assembled the whole thing, you've got, you know, multiple tracks happening. You've done your EQ, you've done your mix, but really you're just giving it a final once over to make sure that everything is as you expect it to be. After you've kind of done that final master and made sure everything sounds like what you want, how are you actually exporting this track? What file type and then what sample rates, what bit rates, all that kind of stuff? I always um, export to MP3, 128 kilobits per second, 128K files. That's a nice sounding MP3. You always want the best quality that, that you can get when you export but the difference between 128 192 isn't that noticeable but the file size is a fair bit smaller so um would you export in stereo or mono format i always export in stereo because all my productions they'll have, there'll be a stereo sound effect or uh, music's always in stereo if i had a podcast that was just a mono voice it's not necessary so you, you could export just a mono file Right, so we've got MP3, we've got 128 kilobits per second, we've got 16-bit, and we've got stereo.
I was just going to ask if you had any recommendations for software. Presumably, this is quite elaborate and you pay some money for it. But what about a schmuck like me? What would you recommend I use? <laughs> oh, I haven't used it. I've only re read about it. But Reaper is a good multi-track editor. Uh, Sony Soundforge, I think they're being purchased by Magix with an X. That, that's a good multi-track editor. But yeah, Pro Tools is by far the, the, the best. It's like the industry standard. But yeah, it, it is pricey and I've just always had... Um, Pro Tools. Pro Tools is generally what Hollywood movies are mixed on. Um, and so it's pretty elaborate. And so I wouldn't recommend it. It's also expensive um, to your point. And so uh, it's got a whole bunch of features that you probably won't use. One that I might throw into the mix um, is Hindenburg, uh, which is which is quite good. I know a lot of people use that. Um, and it's actually compatible with um, Pro Tools. So you can export a Hindenburg project and then it can actually load into Pro Tools. And it's pretty cheap. It's not so much. And Hindenburg is actually designed for um, journalists. So it's more kind of formatted for um, vocal and, you know, the human voice um, rather than like music editing. So I think I might wind it up there because we are super over time. Can everyone just give Pete a really big round of applause? Thank you.